Urban Impact's mission is to offer the at-risk youth of P.T. Barnum educational and mentoring opportunities through in-school and evening activities. We do this through one-on-one -on -one and small group tutoring and mentoring with the hope of helping these kids achieve academic success, build positive character traits, and lead a fulfilling life. Urban Impact has helped me so that I can learn the remedy of God and they showed me responsibility and they helped me with my homework so that I got better grades. I'm Carla McLose and I'm the Executive Director at Operation Hope. At Operation Hope, we believe in the power of transformative change. We're fighting hunger and homelessness and we do that through a couple of different programs. Shelter for men, women and families, our food pantry, our affordable housing program, the community kitchen, and clinical case management. We believe that everyone in our community deserves supportive relationships, hope for the future, and a place to call home. My name is Willie Miller. Operation Hope gave me a shelter at a time that I most needed it, and it guided me in the right, right direction. Because of that, I, I have been able to help others. I am now living the life that I've always meant to live, thanks to God. Bridgeport Rescue Mission is a part of the Church of Jesus Christ, demonstrating His love to the hungry, homeless, and addicted. We provide shelter for men, women, and women with children. We operate the New Life Program, a residential recovery program for men and women suffering addiction. The mission provides supportive housing for those who have completed a Christian faith-based recovery program. We are grateful to be supported by Black Rock Church. I grew up in Bridgeport. When my husband passed away after a six-year battle with MRSA, my life was destroyed by alcohol abuse. They recommended Bridgeport Rescue Mission, and at BRM, I've developed a personal relationship with Jesus. I recently graduated the New Life program and have a job at Stop and Shop. I am doing great. My name is Queen S. Mims. I'm the founder and the executive director of Reentry Ministries. We've been in operation for 37 years. What we do, we take these women in and we give them shelter and we give them the Word of God. I have been um, addicted to alcohol for 27 years. I have been welcomed here with open arms and um, shown that there is a better way than what I've been doing for the last 15 years. I am looking forward to my future, walking with God and being a disciple of Him and His way. My name is Patty Quatuccio. I'm the Executive Director at Hopeline Pregnancy Resource Center. Hopeline is a safe, non-judgmental, compassionate ministry that helps families when they find out they're in an unplanned pregnancy. We help them with pregnancy tests and ultrasounds to help them make an informed decision about their pregnancy. And we would hope that they would choose life and we also hope that they see Jesus in everything we do and say at Hopeline. Three years ago when I first found out that I was pregnant, I was very scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to go to. It's now three years later and I have the most beautiful baby boy named Isaiah Alexis. He's everything to me, he's my world and I would do anything for him. I am so thankful for Hopeline because they have done more than what I would think others or places would do for me. They have given me so much and I appreciate them and I thank God that he's able to bless them so they can bless us. 
My name is Richard Williams. I'm the pastor and director of Pivot Ministries located in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Pivot Ministries was founded over 40 years ago and offers a residential, spiritual, Christian-based solution to addiction. We strive to build strong, competent, responsible Christian men and return them to their families usefully whole. Last year, we provided recovery-related services to over 480 men, amassing over 15,000 sober days at Pivot Ministries. We thank Black Rock Church for their unwavering support of this Christ-based solution to addiction. When I got introduced to Pivot, I was in a very dark space. I was broken, lost, and had no hope. I had an infatuation with alcohol that got completely out of control and alcohol became a part of my identity, and I felt there was no solution but Pivot. Pivot Ministries not only gave me my hope back, they helped me restore my confidence, my self-worth, and my marriage. My relationship with God is stronger than it's ever been, and I haven't had a drink in over six and a half months, and counting. I owe it all to my trust in God and in the program of Pivot Ministries, and I just wanna say thank you, Pivot. Thank you. I want to tell you a story, uh, a story about a young man, a young man who for 23 years was bound by drugs and alcohol. For 23 years, he was in a place of darkness. He was in a place of hopelessness. Every thought, every action was subject to his addiction. No matter how hard he tried, and he tried quite a bit of things. To get out, he just seemed to could not break loose of that bondage. He finally came to a place of total despair. He felt life wasn't worth living anymore. He gave up on himself. He gave up on people. He was in a real desperate way. Now, this young man, he had a wonderful family. They loved him. They cared for him. His, his elderly parents cared for him tremendously throughout the addiction. And they both lived to be 93 years old. Sadly, the last 23 of those 93 wonderful years were littered by this young man's addiction and scarred with his substance abuse. His family finally reached out to an outreach center. Some phone calls were made, and the young man was sent to a Christian faith-based program, Pivot Ministries, 276 miles from his home, 276 miles away from everything with which he was familiar. It was in this place, Pivot Ministries, where the young man witnessed a community working, people serving people. It was in this place he experienced the hearts of people who cared for one another, even complete strangers. It was in this place the word of God became alive in him. He accepted the love of Christ. He learned that through serving and giving one person, can make the difference 
in the lives of others. This young man's life was transformed from one of hopelessness and self-centeredness to one that was God-centered and hopeful. This one desperate addict, this once hopeless individual was me. Ten years ago, this month, I started an amazing faith journey at Pivot Ministries. Back then, I was dead in my trespasses. I was dead in my sin, but God made me alive. Amen. Amen. Literally, from death to life, from death to purpose, purpose. And now Christ lets me serve a Christian life in him. He lets me and gives me the opportunity to live a life of good works, a life of purpose. You know, we live in a culture today, we get so wrapped up in our lives, I think many of us forget about purpose. We get caught up in the rhythm of life, our jobs, our relationships, our families, ourselves, and suddenly we begin to take so much for granted. We seem to forget about purpose. Purpose doesn't matter much. In our text today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it outlines the significance of Christ's exaltation for the Ephesian believers. And it also defines who they are and who they're called to be. It defines their purpose. In the same way, Paul's words, if we can hear them echo over the centuries, right into this sanctuary, they will also remind us of some things. They will remind us that we were once dead in our sins, that we have been made alive in Christ. And just as important, we are created for good works, for purpose. We were once dead in our sins, we've been made alive in Christ, and we are created for good works. You see, saints, we have been saved by grace for an extraordinary purpose. Let's look a little deeper into the text. In verses 1 and 2, our text, in our text, Paul writes, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. First, Paul reminds us of who we were. He reminds us of our state prior to receiving Christ. We were dead. We were dead in our, trans in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. Verse 3 even says, we were by nature children of wrath. We were spiritually dead. 
Our sins and trespasses resulted in our spiritual death. That was certainly my life. The addiction, the drugs, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the bitterness, the hatred, unforgiveness, immorality, all that behavior was leading to death. I was far away from God. I was his enemy, separated from him by my evil actions and my evil thoughts. You know, sadly, when a person dies in the physical, he or she is separated from the ones who are still alive. In a like manner, a person who is spiritually dead is separated from God. He or she is shut off from the things of God, his joy, his peace, his light, his love. Spiritually dead, we were separated from God, and all that is good. That may seem a bit harsh for some misbehavior. That may seem a little negative. But saints, that's not the end of the story. My story did not end with me in the gutter. Nor does Paul's letter end with us being separated from God. We've been made alive. And we can see that clearly in verses 4 through 7. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. God being rich in mercy. God is mercy rich. His account at the Mercy Bank is overflowing. His mercy is endless. His mercy is bountiful. It's more than sufficient. He's made us alive when we were dead because of sin. Death is what we deserved, but God but God's grace, excuse me. Verse 6 says he raised us up with Christ, and now we're seated with Christ. Can you picture it? We're seated with Christ Jesus. I was made alive. You were made alive. None of us deserve it. But he did it anyway. Praise be to God. It's God doing something good for someone who didn't deserve it. It's his gift of eternal life to us. His saving, sacrificial work. He came here to die for us and to rescue us. We were all once dead. We've been made alive. We were all enslaved. And we received resurrection. We were all in trouble, but now we're seated with Christ Jesus.
And the good news is that's just the beginning. We are made alive to do good works. Let's take a closer look at verses 8 and verse number 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Grace. Grace. We hear and we speak of grace quite a bit. Why we even sing about it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. So what is it? That would really depend on who you asked. I think if you ask a little kid what was grace, they'd probably tell you that's what we say before we eat a meal. You know it. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. That's one kind of grace. A good friend of mine recently defined grace as the lucky break an elderly woman gave him after he rear-ended her car. She gets out of the car, and for a moment, she just stares at the damage he just did to her car. She slowly turns to him and says, son, I'm okay. And you're okay. Everything's fine. She gets in her car, and she drives away. Now that's certainly grace. It was very gracious of her. For by grace you have been saved. In our context, grace in the original language means the unmerited favor of God. And more specifically, the unmerited favor of God towards man. His unmerited favor. It's by God's unmerited favor towards us that we've been saved. It has nothing to do with what we've done. Grace is not about us. It's all about God. It's everything God. It's fundamentally a word about God, his extravagant and demonstrations of care and favor towards us. Unearned approval. If it were earned, it would not be grace. It would then be merit. It's his unmerited favor. God's love. It's his mercy. It's his riches in grace. His kindness towards us. We're saved by grace. And then I love the declaration in verse 10. For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good work. We are his masterpiece. Think of the masterpieces that you're aware of, the great artwork, the great buildings that we coin masterpieces skillfully made by someone's hands. In other translations, we see we're his handiwork. We're his craftsmanship. The Greek word used here is poema. 
It translates to poem. We are his poem. And it means that which is made. A work. Of the works of God as creator. So in our context, masterpiece is something made by God himself. That's you. That's me. New creation skillfully and artfully created in Christ Jesus. We are his masterpiece. I see this amazing before and after in this text. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a great group picture right now that's a before and after pick. You see, in verse 1, we were all dead in sin. We were all dead in our transgressions. We were all spiritually dead. And now, here in verse 10, we are his masterpiece. The before and the after. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, skillfully and artfully made. But we're not only his masterpiece, his creation, his artwork. We're also created to do good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works, saints. You see, it's our extraordinary purpose. Those good works that have been prepared beforehand, they're our extraordinary purpose. It's who we were created to be. So what's my so what? So what? God's design for salvation includes good works. By grace, we've been saved. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We are his masterpiece created in Christ to do good works. These good works are our service to the world. Whenever we serve others in any way, we're actually serving God and fulfilling our extraordinary purpose. And Jeremiah, God says, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Extraordinary purpose. The focus of our lives should be Lord, what will you have me do? Paul asked God that same question, immediately following his experience on the Damascus Road. Many of you are familiar with that story. And the Lord answered him, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that has been appointed to you to do. Extraordinary purpose, saints. Paul had to learn God's plan, and he had to learn to walk in them. So do we. So what's my 
Now what? Walk in your good works. Walk in your extraordinary purpose. Serve. Give. Am I saying that the focus of your good works should be to get me off of drugs or to address some world matter? No, not at all. It goes much deeper than that. It's who we're created to be. We were made alive to do good works which God has prepared beforehand. It's part of the entire design, an extraordinary purpose. God has set things up to give us opportunities to do good works. Again, it's not the good works that intend to save us. God's already done that. That's already taken care of. But once we've been redeemed, God expects us to begin to walk as redeemed men and women. He expects us to take advantage of the opportunities that he has presented, that he has already prepared for us to do as good works. We're called to walk in our extraordinary purpose. What good work is God calling you to do? Amen. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.